Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. The title of the book, Heartscapes. It's a book of poetry, inspirational poetry, and the poet is... Merrill Ann Olson and Reverend Merrill joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Reverend Merrill. Hello. How are you, Steve? Great to have you with us. Uh, you've written a lot of poetry through the years, over a period of 40 years. And so this book is basically a reflection, I guess, of all the different life experiences that you've had. Some have been pretty dramatic. Others have been kind of calm and peaceful, haven't they? Indeed. It's actually kind of about the ups and downs of living with bipolar depression from the time I was, uh, I guess, about 24, 25, until now I'm 60, 61. But there's also a lot of sweet uh, nature poems. I absolutely love being in nature. I love trees. There's two about the willow tree, one about holly trees, another one about an apple tree. So, I mean, I just really love um, goddess, um, you know, God in nature, and I love God. I'm a minister, an ordained minister of Universal Brotherhood. So there's a lot of um, God-inspired poetry in here. So it's about, again, the span of your life, which you're alive, as you put it, by God's grace, and you had a guru along the way to help you as well to uh, adapt, I guess, and to to literally, as we might say, flourish. Indeed. I mean, I, I am so grateful because I am thriving at 61. There were times in the midst of darkness and despair that I didn't even think I was going to make it to 30 or 40 or 50 or ever be married or have children. So I feel so blessed. I feel strong. I feel um, grateful, you know, that God, Jesus, Lord, Spirit, whatever you want to call that divine force, that intelligence, you know, some people relate to Lord Jesus, other people relate to Buddha, they relate to Allah, whatever. For me, it's all one God. So I feel like it's God within and all around me um, through all the people that have come into my life and my parents and um, my brothers and sisters and the doctors that I've had. I have had a whole team of support system that has helped me to get through this debilitating illness and divorce and abuse in childhood. So I've overcome... You know, like, you would not believe all the stuff I've overcome to be where I am today. So I'm grateful. Well, your first poem goes all the way back to October of 1976. Uh, the That's Love correct. I, I Miss. 21. You were 21 and uh, in love, I guess. You say, The Love I Miss. Yeah, you want, you want to hear that one? Sure, that let's start out heart. with the number one poem in your book, and we'll also, obviously, have some others that you will share with us. Yes, dear. Okay. This is this was written for my boyfriend at the time. I was living with a man named Greg, and um, we were having some troubles. So I was feeling sad, 
So I wrote a lot of the poems that came from a sad place in my heart just to express that and to get it on paper. So this is, where did it all go? The love that once was ours. The times I said I loved you so. The times you brought me flowers. The gentleness in word and touch has somehow gone astray. How could that sweetness change so much just living day to day? You say black, I say white. We've changed so much, I fear. Now is different as day and night, when once so close, so dear. There's n well, there's no legal commitment. Ties should be easy to break. You probably want out, too. Shouldn't be tough to undertake. But who wants the cats? Who gets the TVs? Well, I think that's probably the least of our worries. For with all our problems, I still love you so. And I would give you the earth's gems if you let me know that you feel the same. Let's stop this silly game and start anew. It can't be that, dif can't be that difficult to do. Tell me what's wrong. I'll change if I can. It's to you I want to belong. It's you I want be my man. Give me back the days when you lovingly brushed my long hair, and we talked all night until the dawn brought a beautiful new day, and we laughed without a care. But if we can't, then please let it die. You don't see, but alone I cry. Your tenderness, your love I miss. But fear not, if you go, I'll get by. That's the end of that one. Well, that's really, really touching. I say that sincerely. I, I, that's what I love about poetry. And, and you have a very, very stylistic uh, uh, pattern of rhyming that just, that's the beauty of poetry when it rhymes. Some people call poetry and it doesn't rhyme. I don't call that poetry. I don't know. That's just prose, I guess. But uh, with good thoughts. But that was that was very touching very very touching yeah. you, you know what I'm just going to go to the second one because this one rhymes in some places and not in others oh, but okay. it's very appropriate for kind of what was going now and at the time I wrote this HBO had just come on the, the television so I was watching a lot a lot of movies on TV and now I've been watching the news democracy now and all kinds of crap <laughs> And so this was like a, a message from my Holy Spirit to me about, you know, not watching too much tube anymore. So this is what came out. It's called Listen, November 1976. Two, four, six, eight hours you sit and stagnate in front of the box they call for boobs. Soon your brain will become one with wires, screen, and tubes. Is it too late not to reap what they have sown? Or can you still differentiate which thoughts are theirs and which your own? If not the tube to amuse yourself, there's always the disc. Can silence be so painful to listen such a risk? To create a thought that comes from within instead of without creates no sin without a doubt. A novel, a lyric, maybe a script, a greeting card sent to a friend who is sick. 
All these are creative, past idleness condoned. What a feeling of pride to know these are your own. Or do you even dare to be completely still? Of your mind's endless wanderings, have you had your fill? Are you ready to take a smoother course? Ready to receive from a higher source? A few silent moments with your God self each day might find a treasure lost, prevent a holocaust, or just help ease your way. So next time you want to turn on the TV or listen to the DJ, set your mind free for just a few moments to see what the small voice within has to say. Some guidance, inspiration, all this will come to you if only you will take some time to renew and listen. Now that's that one. Very, very good. Again, you. your poems are throughout the book are in chronological order, reflecting all the ups and downs, uh, even your mental, you know, struggles of uh, your mental. I guess we can say illness, right? I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, or I mean, was. some of it's illness, yeah. some of it's divorce, some of it's yeah. you know, when you lose a person you love, whether it's a lover or your mom or your grandmother. Sure. You know, you can't say that's mental illness. That's grieving. I mean, it's just. You know, sadness, the trials that people have to face in life and overcome. Well, give us something about nature. You love the nature. This one is, is called uh, the willow. And this was the willow tree that was in my mother's backyard. Temporarily, I had to live with her in my mid-20s when I went through a little rough time. I had an abortion. But anyway, so I went to live with her, and this was written in July of 1981. And I loved this willow. I used to sit out of the back and just admire it in the evening and kind of just uh, commune with the tree itself. So this is how it goes. Oh, perfect willow. Your splendid pulchritude is embedded in my consciousness. So tall and strong, commanding and majestic, yet with a softness and feminine loveliness that brings me to wonder and tears each time I am in your holy presence. Is it the breeze that accents your beauty, or you who adorn it with your flowing tresses? Teach me to be like you, centered and firmly grounded to the earth, but always willing to bend and dance with the wind, your arms outstretched, reaching, touching the wonders of the world, knowing that all is perfection as you are. Very nice. So there you have it. <laughs> very, very nice. Well, let's take us to take us to an extreme emotional part in your life. Very, very extreme. I guess, you know, we could call it uh, many things. Uh, very destructive. I a dark night of the soul. Yeah. This is, um, I guess attempted suicide. Attempted suicide. Yeah, lost and found again. And then I'm going to go back and sing, sing you something about God's breaks. Okay, this is... I wrote this at an ashram after I got out of the hospital. I was in the hospital for three months after shooting myself. And it was only by God's grace that I'm alive. And I'm, you know, to this day, I you know, could say, I'm so sorry that that happened, but, you know, with an illness, I didn't have a lot of choice in the matter, so, 
Anyway, it's only by God's grace that I'm here today talking to you, and I'm so grateful. Here we go. I got lost again in the maze of my mind, but this time I managed to leave my good sense behind. I thought that putting a bullet in my brain would take away the fear and stop the pain. How tragic, how insane. If only I could set my soul free from my body, I'd be at peace again. I'd live in ecstasy. But that was not to be my destiny. I could have been lost for a very long time, never to be with my sweet family again, never to reason or rhyme. But your grace saved me again. Through your miracles, I'm almost back to new. How can I thank you? What can I do to say I'm grateful for a life, a second chance at life in this body without the pain and strife in this very precious temple you gave me, this place where God resides? It was only the power of love that could save me, my own love that always guides me through each trial and tribulation I've been through in my time. The love that is so precious, so blissful, so sublime. I could never be apart from that love, no matter what my mind thinks. Is a drop ever separate from the ocean? Even when a ship sinks? That's that one. Very, very, very... Uh I guess it just opens the mind to what you and, and the emotions to what you were going through. So very well said. We just have a couple minutes left. But you said you wanted to sing a song. Yeah, this one is called By Your Grace, which I wrote for Swami Muktananda for his birthday, my guru, in May of 1982. And um, I'll just give you a little bit of one couple verses or one verse and the chorus. One day in my inner temple, I prayed for a teacher to guide me. You heard the language of my heart. You saw what was inside me. You said that I had earned your love, and you would never leave me. And when I faltered on my path, you lovingly retrieved me. By your grace, I can see past darkness into light. By your grace, I am free to reach the highest heights. By your grace, I now know who I truly am. By your grace, your sweet grace, I am free. The lesson of attachment is a painful one to learn. I was bound by the past. There seemed nowhere to turn. I thought somehow I'd lost you when everything went wrong. But you were with me all the time to help me become strong. Then it goes to the chorus. By your grace, I could see past darkness into light. By your grace, I am free to reach the highest heights. By your grace, I now know who I truly am. By your grace, your sweet grace, I am free. Very, very talented woman. We've been listening to Reverend Merrill Ann Olson.
and she has written her book of poetry, Heartscapes. She's also shared with us a, a very touching song, and she is a very talented lady. So we appreciate you being with us on Author Talk. Meryl, uh, what's the best way to get your book, Heartscapes? Thank you so much, Steve. You can order my uh, book, Heartscapes, by Meryl Ann Olson on Amazon.com. Or you could go to authorhouse.com, either one, or Barnes & Noble. Right, any of the online retailers, you, you can order it from them as well. Again, Heartscapes. And it's inexpensive, it's just thirteen ninety five, and I think a couple of dollars for shipping. You can also get it for three seventy five if you want to read it online on the e-book. But if you buy the book itself, there's a beautiful picture of the lady on the front. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Reverend Merrill, we thank you again for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you. Thank you very much, dear. Have a happy and blessed day. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled For Your Quiet Meditation, Devotional Reflections. And joining me from West Virginia is retired pastor and minister William Flewelding. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Pleasure visiting with visiting with you, and in you know in in uh, visiting with you a little earlier, I discovered that you have written almost five hundred and fifty or five hundred and sixty pages of devotional material. Share with my listeners how this got started. What was the uh, the reason this book got written? It's, well, the 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 book actually samples approximately five years' worth of uh, quiet meditations. I started writing these things back in 1981. Uh, the, the meditations come numbered. They, that just was a matter of indexing. And uh, I'm in the, currently in the 1900 range of uh, meditations. It, you do it long enough, the numbers get big. Oh, wow. But... Uh, Someone had suggested, had mentioned that a, a friend had mentioned a pastor of theirs had done something like this. Just exactly what they did, I don't know. Um, but uh, my friend found it uh, found it helpful. And I was walking. I was fairly new in the congregation I was serving, and I was walking through, the, and people were reading this stuff, which I considered junk, on the back of the bulletins before church. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, I can do better than that. And so I set out to do it. And April 14th, uh, which was Palm Sunday that year, 1981, I started writing these things. And I stuck one in the bulletin, well, as long as I was in, in active ministry. And I found them useful to me personally, so I kept writing them. Now, are they are they stories that reflect a uh, maybe a scriptural reference, or are they strictly the- theological in in their intent and in style? I reflect upon them. I try to make them meditative in style. They're not really stories as, or anecdotes. Uh, I read those sometimes, and I, I personally I just sort of get lost in them. Right. Uh, I try to reflect upon what this what this verse and its immediate environment is trying to to tell us. Do you do some reflective research as well? I mean, do you go into concordances and other you know materials to expand upon the the scripture that you're referencing, or is it all just personal reflection? It's it's all well. It's kind of hard to answer that directly. Um, it's personal reflection, but given the fact that I, over the long before these things started being collected, and the the book starts in November of twenty nine or two thousand nine, and um, and and long before, even before I started writing them, I start, was asked to do Bible studies, and I wrote Bible studies, and mm. my style of Bible study is I take. A, take a book I don't know anything about and proceed it pericope by pericope, uh, little section by section going through the through the book uh, analyzing it, doing the concordance work, I developed a facility like my professor called it, that is given the text some, some grammatical aids and some lexicons and some concordances and other such helps, I can figure out what's going on in the Greek and in the Hebrew. The, the style that you have completed in this book, is it something that the layperson or person with a, a church background will, will gravitate to and, uh, and be easily uh, inspired by, do you think, your writing style? Um, anecdote. I moved to, from Port, Indiana, where I started these things in 1981. In 1990, I moved to Tama, Iowa. And I started there, and I started sticking them in my bulletins. Uh, about a year or so later, I called on this lady in the hospital. Peg Kelly was her name. Peg said to me, says, you know those things you stick in the bulletins? And mm-hmm. I said, yeah. Uh, she says, I like those. And what she did was she took them, and she would, she took the one, the first one. She happened to be there the first Sunday I was there. She was not an every Sunday person, but a frequent, frequent flyer. And she would. She said, "I use it for my daily devotions every week, every day." Wow! And then the next week there was another one, and I alternated them. So about, I'm, my guess is, by the time I saw her in the hospital and she's talking to me about this, there been she had about thirty of them. And what she would have done was she would have put the new one on the bottom, and and then shuffle them through, and she used them daily for her devotions. So that is also something that you would uh, recommend in the study of your book or the reading of your book. It 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 is it is the way that some people have found useful to them. I have another friend uh, who 
has a much larger collection of them and uh, 10 or 12 years worth of them and uses them the same way and has commented to me her email contact uh, that she is uh, in such and such a season <laughs> right then right uh, um, my observation when, when I was in Iowa was that about half of the congregation showed looked like they were perusing them wonderful the uh style of your book then i'm i'm assuming from what you've described if i were a bible teacher or a pastor i could either use your material directly or use it as a launching pad for maybe study or getting a a deeper understanding of scripture that could be done uh if i were if i were a pastor i've I have spent my my retirement time in the last few years mining my my files. Yes. And some of those Bible studies that I have done back years ago, I have revisited, uh, created electronic copies of them, and indeed have them printed. There's uh, three volumes of them on Romans, Hebrews, and ones from the Catholic epistles. That's First and second, First Peter, James, First Peter, First, Second, and Third John were the ones that I actually did. Uh, but they are they are strong exegetical stuff. I found that I could not expect lay people to produce what I did, but I found that they were quite able to follow what I did. And uh, oh, it was years later. My daughter was then working for an agency of our church, a Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and uh, and it was she, she was in an office on New Church Starts, and she had contact with the with my first church out of seminary. Back I was there in the late seventies, and uh, and she's she's told the pastor she, she knew the church because she was there as a small child, and uh, he said, "Oh, in his comment." Her, her relaying to me his comment hmm. was, "Oh, we were just talking about your father a few a few weeks a few days ago. Someone brought up about the Bible studies that we did when he was here." Wow. That's so, a- and this would have been probably about two thousand three, four, five, and I was moved there in seventy six, moved out in eighty one. So you know, it's been thirty odd years. And you've established a legacy then from your style and your your input into the congregations and the the communities. Is there what is the one thing you want people to take away from this work uh, for your quiet meditation? What is the one thing you hope they will uh, glean from your studies and from your your sharing this meditation material? I one of my parishioners in Atumwa, named Skip Smith made the comment to me that she had fallen in love with God. And I, and I, I mentioned her because she just stated it so, so beautifully. Uh, I would hope that people would do that, or at least begin to do that. Uh, it, is a, it is a devotional stuff, and devotional stuff is, is designed and aimed and intended to help people settle quietly into uh, 
into an awareness of the presence of God. Were there any challenges? Uh, you mentioned you've been you know, putting this material together for a number of years. Uh, did you have any difficulty in finding it? I, I know in my, uh, my own personal world, I would have a very difficult time. My assumption from visiting with you is that you're a little better organized, perhaps. How did that come together? I'm not sure what you're asking me. Well, were there challenges in uh, getting the material together? Did you find everything easily, or, or was it a difficult task in getting it to the printer? Oh, and getting it to the printer? No, I have I have a file box over there, and if I wanted to, I could go back to 1981, and they're all there in hard copy. Phenomenal. Uh, what happened with this was I do it up every week, and I was on this computer, and I, for reasons I have no memory of, I just sort of kept collecting the old ones in order. And so it was a matter of uh, going over it. And once I decided to do it and then get the uh, the frills around it, I don't think I bothered with the table of contents on this one. Um, and it doesn't have an index. Hmm. Just but a discovery it, process. Uh, and, and But it was just, they evolved. Beautifully. Um uh, I, I stuck a forward on it, and then I started with the first one listed was for 1st November 2009, and it was number 1554, Wow! which meant that there were 1,553 of these things that were written, typed up, distributed beforehand. It sounds like you have a, a library full of personal content that you could share in an additional book. Is there a follow-up to this book on meditation? When I finished this book on meditations, I simply created a new file which says a second collection of quiet meditations or something close to that. And, uh, and, I, and this one runs through uh, 2014, and the next one starts on 2015, and I'm now starting my third year of collection on it. And I figure I get about five years' worth. That's about 250 or so meditations. I do one every Sunday, and I do one for Ash Wednesday and Monday Thursday. That's the Thursday of Holy Week. Incredible. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us and also telling us about the background of this book, your book titled For Your Quiet Meditation, Devotional Reflections. My author guest, uh, William Flewilling. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Where can my listeners get a copy of your book? For, if the place else is listed on Amazon, along with 38 other books I've mined out of my history. Incredible. They can do a search under your name. Let me spell that for them. It's F-L-E-W-E-L-L-I-N-G, first name William, William Flewilling. And they can find uh, not only this book, but uh, the other books in your collection of, uh, of wonderful uh, authorship. Thank you for joining me today, sir. You're welcome. Thank for, you. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's words you never heard. Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. 
The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Other Loves, All Flee. One family's journey from legalism to grace. And to explain that title, joining me from California is author... Leona Cohen-Nichols, welcome to the program. Thank you. Leona, this is, uh, this is a fascinating title. On the photo, photo that's on the jacket, I'm presuming that's you and your husband who look relatively conservative in your dress and so on. What, is the, <laughs> yes, what, what, yes. Is, what does the term legalism have to do with uh, your journey and your life? Well, you know what, uh, um, there are uh, many, many different varieties of Christians, as you probably are aware of, and right. some are very, very conservative. Uh, the Amish are quite well-known, and in our community, there are the German Baptists, and there are, of course, the Holderman Mennonites, of which I, my husband and I were a part of. And um, uh, so much of their faith is based upon rules. They, uh, and of course, as you can see from the picture on my book, we had to dress a certain way. Women had to wear coverings over their heads, uh, or on the kind. That one isn't. Uh, that's the everyday covering. You wore it like that for every day, and then for church, you wore it tied down under your chin, kind of like a bandana, right. and it had to be black. And uh, then my husband, as you can see, a fairly generous beard on that picture. And uh, so um, uh, the, the legalism part is all of the rules that are you are required to obey, or you get called into church work, which is, uh, you know, you uh, the ministers come out and visit you and say, what's going on here, you know, or... Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, you cannot make your own decisions. Oh, of course you can in you know, certain unessential things. But when it comes to major lifestyle issues, you don't make your own decisions. You follow what has been preordained by the people before you. Now, Men- and, Mennonites, yeah. Mennonites as such uh, were an offshoot of the, of the Amish, uh, I think, as, as uh, I understand history. And, and yet you were allowed to have uh, vehicles and, and other types yes. of things that were a little more uh, yes. upscale, traditional, common yes. Yes, and it was so interesting is that, you know, we looked at the Amish as being legalistic, but we were free. We we had the freedom to have vehicles and all of those kind of things. And uh, uh, But, of course, uh, you needed to be careful what kind of vehicles. For instance, you never bought a car uh, that had a lot of chrome on it or that uh, was, uh, I mean, uh, yellow or red, unheard of. You know, it had to be hmm. a dark color. And... Um, 
so, so you know, within uh, we had some freedoms that the Amish didn't have, but we also had uh, some rules that we needed to follow. Or, or, or we, what happens when you break the rules or kind of get on the, uh, kind of push the push the envelope a little bit, is uh, you know you get a visit, and and uh, somebody very nicely says, well, what what are you thinking here with this kind of a car, for example? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Were, were the tractors also that were used, uh, were they dark colors? I mean, the, most of the tractors... No, that... no, no. It's, it's just kind of amazing. Uh, most of the uh, farm equipment, and we do live in a farming community here in Central California, um, most of the farming equipment was um, up-to-date and uh, uh, was, uh, you know, that didn't seem to apply to farm equipment. I don't mm. know. For some reason, I guess... Uh, they thought that uh, uh, that was their livelihood, and so they needed quality equipment, I guess. But um, yeah, it, there's there's always some consistencies, uh, inconsistencies with uh, with uh, conservative people. Uh, you know, we'll say, you know, one group will say, well. Uh, we do this, but boy, we sure don't do that. Those those, <laughs> those people. I wonder what they're doing. For instance, right. we did not allow uh, photographs. I have no pictures of not a single one of my beautiful six babies. Wow. And um, and, and so that was a, that was a point of um, you know of um, oh shoot, what's the way to say it? Uh, the point of uh, uh, saying that we are more we are more godly. We are more. Uh, you know, faithful to the scriptures. Sure. And and uh, that particular thing was based on, you know, the commandment that says, thou shalt not make any graven images. Right. And somehow or another, that became, uh, you know, a no-no. But what's interesting is we are in a new generation, and we have, the, the Holderman young people have phones that do everything, and if if that isn't going to be an agent for change, I don't know what is. That's incredible. Now, the Holderman group is actually a more conservative uh, version of the Mennonite uh, church that is a little more mainstream. Is that the, the right yes, way to describe yes, that? Sure. Yes, there are. They all seem to be very proud of their heritage. That's a common thing uh, uh, with uh, them. They're Anabaptist, um, and uh, that that I think they hold in common. And uh, generally speaking, you're not going to find uh, any Mennonite group that is uh, kind of uh, draws attention to themselves. They're more the quiet people of the land. But the Haldemans are the most conservative of the entire group. There is uh, some other uh, denominations, I will call them that, or religious folks that uh, have very conservative views. One that kind of came out of the woodwork a few years ago was uh, Warren Jets and and a uh, uh, an offshoot of the Mormon Church. Is the Holdeman group uh, have some of those characteristics? I won't say cultish, but is there a, a kind of a control factor in the Holdeman group that's not found in other churches? Definitely so. I don't know how many churches still practice uh, excommunication and avoidance, but what this does is when somebody has broken the rules or is unwilling to listen to 
uh, the you know the, the instructions of the ministers. They are first of all they are placed on repentance. You have some time to um, you know consider what is being asked of you and time to repent. My husband and I were on repentance for uh, 19 months, mm. which was is a long time. Uh, that's it was because we continued to follow the pattern in spite of the fact that we did refuse to deny that we had met the Lord, and so. Um, uh, but but the time will come. You can be on repentance. Usually that would be a much shorter time. But they were gracious to us. We were the parents of six children. We were in church. Uh, every time the doors opened, we were very faithful in so many of those things. So they thought that surely we would see ourselves and, and we would... Um, we would, you know, uh, uh, repent. And um, so, uh, but excommunication is a very, very challenging thing in the Holderman Church, uh, and, and I presume anywhere it's practiced, uh, where you are now separated from your family. I remember the first time we went to a family meal uh, at, after we were excommunicated. It was my husband's family, and we were a large group, and I assumed that we would, uh, you know, kind of serve uh, buffet style. And um, so I had not prepared my younger children. My older children, of course, knew. So we came in, and I thought, uh-oh, there was a large table set, um, you know, already set with dishes and, and preparation. And uh, and then there was this little card table off by the side. Hmm. And uh, I knew immediately. And uh, But I didn't think my kids would, would know. My two youngest kids were, I think, uh, four and seven. And um, but we sat down at this table when they directed us to, and my seven-year-old leaned over to me and she said, "Mama, why are they doing this to us?" And I I was in shock because I didn't think she'd even pick up on it. She's wow. seven, hmm. and uh, and I said, "Oh, honey," I said, um, uh, "You can see that other table is all full, and uh, weren't they nice to put the, put up a table so we could sit." and sit down and eat. And and then I said, but Mama will talk to you about this when we get home. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, I was just totally unprepared for her reaction. I didn't know that she would pick up on it. And then I think the first time we were uh, set aside was uh, we had the first wedding in our, in our family. My eldest uh, niece got married. And, of course, we went to the wedding and uh, of course I knew too that we would not be sitting with the family but uh, they put us about as far away as you could get in a corner with our backs toward everybody else oh boy. and uh, and that was very difficult and I'm sitting there and the tears are kind of you know wanting to flow and and uh, and I just felt the felt the heart of the Lord say what Leona I was known as a friend to sinners and you, uh, it, it, there, it, there may be somebody at this table who needs to know about Jesus, and here you are, focusing on yourself. And and I swallowed a few times, and I started connecting with the people at the table. But we tried very hard to be understanding and forgiving. After all, we'd grown up in this culture; we knew exactly what to expect. Right. Uh, you did not lose your foundation of faith, though. You have uh, journeyed beyond that restrictive community. How Absolutely. did that? How did that happen? What was the? What was the opportunity well, that that caused you to look elsewhere? 
you know, I, I have a second book that is a sequel to Other Loves, and it's called His Grace Found Me. And one of the first chapters says, where do we go from here? And, of course, that Monday morning, after we had been told on a Sunday morning that we'd been excommunicated, the minister came over. We were all uh, almost ready for church, and, and he said, I he came over, um, I don't know, around 8.30, I guess, and and said, I need to tell you that you uh, you and your husband were excommunicated the night before, and uh, we, we look for your speedy return. We hope that you will come back soon. Hmm. And we said, thank you. And, um, and then we continued to get ready for church, and we went to church as we always had. But I will tell you <laughs> that a little... Uh, uh, Two and a half or three mile trip to our our church, uh, and of course we were all we all looked the same as we had any other Sunday, and uh, we uh, got out of the car and went into the church, and uh, you know everything was the same, but our hearts were completely different, you know. Uh, but you know we had met the Lord, we had had an experience in which we had felt His love and His presence in such an outstanding way it's it's hard i don't know that i could even explain to you but uh but as we were praying we suddenly realized that we stood in the presence of jesus uh, not that we could see him not that we could hear him but he began to pour such incredible love into our hearts that we knew that we knew that we knew and you know before that time i did not know there's only one first place in your heart did you know that (laughs) there's only one first place in your heart and uh and if it's your church then it's not the lord Hmm. and so um uh, that changed for us that day that uh that day when we were in our in our living room praying together and uh, so when we went to church that day you know we were we were polite and kind and so was everybody else but the but the chasm between us chasm i guess between us was uh, incredibly wide and um it, it, we continued to go to the church for about 6 weeks and then one day as i was we were walking in i felt in my heart the lord was saying I brought you out of that. Why do you keep going back into it? Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness, we're really going to have to find uh, find a new way to live. And um, and then you know there were eight of us, six kids and us, and I I thought, well, why can't we just have church at home? Uh-huh. Well, we tried that one Sunday or two. I don't know that went, didn't work out too well. And then finally we began to realize we needed to find another place to fellowship. And uh, where, you know, because, of course, the, uh, one of the ultimate sins with the Holdemans is to attend another church. Mm-hmm. So we had not attended, had no clue, and we were really kind of uh, dependent on, uh, you know, on, on what was happening in our hearts and what we felt like the Lord was speaking. And, but our girls, uh, <coughs> who were teenagers at this time, uh, they came home one day and they said, you know, we went to a young people's Bible study in this home church in Merced. And I, they said, maybe you'd like to check it out. And we thought, a home church? Yeah, that would be good, you know, because we uh, we would uh, actually break, break that rule about attending another church, a formal building. Right. So we, we went to this home church for about... Uh, uh, maybe about a year, and and they were very different than us. But they put their arm, they opened their arms and reached out to us in love, and um, <laughs> they were so gracious to us, so gracious to us. 
And uh, But after we'd gone there about a year, my daughter was now in college and was in nurses' training, and uh, she could not get to her place of, of employment in time. So uh, <clears throat> we found a little beginning church in uh, Turlock, which is just about, uh, it's about uh, 20 minutes from us to the north. And uh, they met in the American Legion Hall, which that helped too, you know. It wasn't a church building. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I look back, it was step by step by step that we made the adjustments and uh, that we felt like the Lord was leading us in our lives. We knew that it was important to fellowship with other believers. We just didn't know what believers, because we had taught that they were all in error. Now, you've written 171 pages. There's more in here than just that particular story of your of your yes. life journey. You have photo, uh-huh. photos of the family and uh, have, yes. have followed it through. What was the purpose in writing the book? What do you think readers will get from this, besides the history of the Holdeman Church? Yeah. Well, um, of course, as as uh, committed believers, we would like to uh, also show that uh, God doesn't abandon us. He walks with us. When we go through hard things, he walks with us. And uh, and step by step, you know, well, uh, situations would come up and we thought, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And uh, of course, prayer is the avenue of that all Christians have to talk to the God, the creator of the universe. And and we would pray, and uh, something would happen. God would open a door. God would uh, lead us in a certain direction. And we never felt abandoned. We never felt like he had turned his back on us because we knew uh, that we were walking in faith. We're, we're saying, Lord, you know, what do you, how do you want me to live? Who do you want me to connect with? All of these kind of things. And that happened. And uh, our children grew up, and um, they most of them went to college. Uh, three have degrees, and the other three didn't complete. But our youngest son became a pastor, and he is a pastor in the local church that we attend right now. Beautiful. So, yeah. That's a beautiful story. And, and again, even if they are non-church-going, non-believers, this book really would be of interest to them just to for the historical content, uh, plus the... Uh, personal stories that you have have shared in your book. The title again is Other Loves All Flee, One Family's Journey from Legalism to Grace. My guest has been Leona Cohen Nichols. Leona, my listeners need to get a copy of this. How would they do so? Well, of course, it's on Amazon.com and uh, and also the uh, the publishing house that I used for that book is called Author House, and I think they also, and Barnes and Nobles, I guess, carry everything. They don't always have them on their shelves, but uh, they can order them for you. And, you know, I, I do realize that in some ways, uh, it, you know, unless you're interested in uh, in a spiritual journey, uh, it may not, uh, you know, be for you, but most people do realize that <laughs> that we're here on this earth for a purpose, and we all want to fulfill that purpose. And uh, for us, you know, it was raising our families uh, in a godly way, and uh, we we have wonderful children. We have six wonderful children, twenty grandchildren. Now we're into great grands, and wow. um, and it, we have it, we have been so privileged. It is so incredible. We've taken trips. We have, uh, you know, done a lot of things that we had we could not have done otherwise. And uh, you know, I have continued to study and to grow and and. Um, 
and to write. <laughs> you know, I also have a, a poetry book called uh, Quiet Things, Quiet Places. And uh, then this uh, latest book that I published is called His Grace Found Me because there were several couples who said, we want to tell our stories too. And so there are five families who tell their stories in this in this sequel to Other Loves. But Other Loves is our basic book. And, and of course, what I mean by that title is when uh, when Jesus is first in your life, you have other loves also, but they are not um, they are not your focus. You know, we have a farm. We love being farmers. <laughs> um, by the way, you know, when I went back to when I started college at age 49, I graduated when I was 53, and got my first teaching job. Mm. And I taught in the public schools. Uh, I'm an English English teacher. And I taught there for um, about 11 years full-time, and then we wanted to do some traveling. So then I went part-time and um, uh, did long-term subs and summer school and things. And then at the very end, I went and taught in a private school, Turlock Christian High School. And all of those were wonderful experiences for me. I I am a natural-born teacher. Um, When I was in first grade, I came home, you know, and told my mom, Mom, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a teacher. And she smiled. (laughs) And and then I got to the fourth grade before I realized I never could be because I wouldn't be allowed to get an education. Your story comes through as a a teacher in your book, All Other Loves All Flee. And obviously Uh you are a person that has a lot of joy in your life. So I appreciate your sharing that with my audience today and for sharing your story. I would recommend this this book, listeners. You can find it probably just under the first and last name, Leona, last name N-I-C-H-O-L-S, if you're looking for this book and others that she has penned. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Oh, it's my privilege. Thank you for being interested. (laughs) Uh, Honored to visit with you. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.